Welcome to Make Music Happen, a podcast brought to you by the Songbirds Guitar and Pop Culture Museum. I'm one of your hosts. My name is John. And I'm your other host, Charlie. So in this 30-minute show, we're going to be doing things like interviewing local artists, exploring local music history, and even looking at the intersection between music and things like race and gender and sexuality. But uh, that's not today's show. Charlie, what do we have up for today? Today we've got singer-songwriter Paul Thorne. Hey, can you see me? I'm here. His style, I'd, I guess I'd describe as, a, as Americana. He's best known for songs like Snake Farm, which we're listening to now. Ramona, she kind of look like Tempest She can dance like a little Egypt. She works down at the Snake Farm. Snake Farm. Pimps and Preachers, which we're going to hear in a minute, and Old Stray Dogs and Jesus, which we're hearing now. Paul plays here once or twice a year at Songbirds, so he's a good friend of the museum. He's charming, he's principled, he's witty. And he's a fantastic storyteller, especially in his live shows. And we are going to jump into those stories, but first, I wanted to point out that, yes, there is the Songbirds Guitar and Pop Culture Museum, but did you know that that is operated by the Songbirds Foundation? Oh. Yep, that's right. And we've got Reed here. He's going to let you know what we're all about, so that you know what you're supporting when you go to the museum, or you see a show, or have a beer at the venue. Hey folks, for those of you who don't know, the Songbirds Guitar and Pop Culture Museum is part of the Songbirds Foundation. And the foundation is a nonprofit organization that provides thousands of free guitars, in-depth lessons, and cognitive music therapy to kids across the South. We here at Songbirds believe that music is one of the most essential parts of our society. It provides common ground, links unlike minds, and forges meaningful relationships. We are deeply proud to provide kids a hands-on music education and help jumpstart their musical journeys. Hey, but more importantly, we're happy to help kids learn how to rock. Baby? John. Make music happen. So we're back. John, what do we have playing in the background? This is Paul Thorne. He's playing Holy Hotty Toddy. Uh, this version he played for us during the Vault Sessions interview, which again, you can see on YouTube. We're just dipping our toes into the Paul Thorne universe here. So Hotty Toddy, Charlie, get us started here. I don't know about you, John, but like when I go to, to live shows, I love it when the artists tell stories in between songs, whether it's like how they came up with that song. Well, the song Holy Hotty Toddy came from uh, uh, an hour from where I live, which is Tupelo, Mississippi, is a town called Oxford. And in Oxford, uh, when they greet people on the street, they don't say hello, they say Hotty Toddy, because it's an old Miss thing. 
or, you know, just like a funny anecdote. And Paul's really, really good at that. He's just got a great sense of humor. Yeah, he definitely does. He, you can tell he's the kind of guy that really just finds joy in kind of the mundane, you know? I'm good. I'm here at the Best Western drinking some fabulous Best Western coffee. And uh, I went down and I had uh, one of those things where you turn the knob and a certain amount of cereal falls into your bowl. Somebody had went before me and they turned the knob, but they didn't. Uh, but for some reason, it all just piled up. And so then when I put turned it again, my bowl overflowed and, and uh, Fruit Loops went everywhere. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's almost like Ted Lassoian, this outlook. It's really unique and special to have, but even more so is the gift to be able to convey it to other people. Yeah, he he really is like one of the most positive people I've I've ever met. Like it's just kind of like Remember God on the mountain is still God in the valley. <laughs> I don't want to say happy go lucky, but just like I'm happy to be doing what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm happy to be here. And, uh, you know, that's good enough for me. So I, ta- I talked to Paul about growing up in Tupelo, Mississippi, the birthplace of Elvis, as you know. I'm actually proud of that. You know, I, we all are what we, what we came from, and that's what I came from. And so I can sing a song that might sound like a country song, and then I can turn around and sing something sound like a, like a Wilson Pickett song. You know, I, I can do both because I grew up and got, I had tremendous mentors, you know, uh, musical mentors. I love the South. I'm not embarrassed by anything. The only thing I'm embarrassed by is people that don't act right. the south you got to talk about religion and paul grew up pentecostal you know i grew up going to church pentecostal type church you know we the belief of a pentecostal faith is that you know you get saved uh jesus comes into your heart you get forgiven of your sins uh and that gets you a ticket into heaven you know and then uh after you get saved you get sanctified that's where it's a, supposedly uh, removes your Adamic nature, which it didn't work with me because I kept on wanting to do bad things after I, even after I sanctified. Um, his parents took him to both black and white churches growing up, and he talked about how that eventually inspires music once he decided to pursue it professionally. They had two types of churches, the black churches and the white churches, and uh, I attended both of them, and I learned... Uh, how to play rockabilly gospel sort of at the white churches. And I learned about the rhythm and blues style of gospel at the black churches. And we used to have these, uh, once a month, we have something called a singing. That's, it's on, be on a Saturday night. And uh, anybody that wanted to on, on that particular Saturday night could get up and sing a song by themselves and they would call it a special. 
like so-and-so gonna get up and sing a special. And it was a big thrill to get up and sing, you know, in a, at those Saturday night singings. And all that stuff like that really uh, was what helped me become a musician. can hear it black gospel uh sound and then also kind of this like old time pentecostal feel yeah uh, in, in his no music So he also, Paul also talked to me about speaking in tongues. Have you ever, you ever spoken in tongues? Uh, know anybody who has? Yeah, I think I've definitely been around it. And I, and I, I actually know the, uh, the $10 word, believe it or not. Glossolalia is the uh, religious studies word for that. Really? Mm-hmm. Glossolalia. You're welcome. I, I used to, yeah, I dated a, a girl once who, um, she claimed to have spoken in tongues, uh, and uh, and then I actually went to a church and witnessed people speaking in tongues and seeing that for the first time as a, a Jewish guy in the South um, freaked me out a little bit. I got to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine it would. Yeah, no, no shade. I know it's a religious practice and whatnot, so it is what it is. As a child, I spoke in tongues, uh, but looking back, I think I was just. I don't think it was God that was making me speak in tongues. I think it was, I was in the altar praying and all these people who already had the Holy Ghost, they were putting their hands on me and, and they were praying that the Holy Ghost would come. And, and then all of a sudden in the excitement of the moment, I just started blurting out phrases of, of someone speaking in tongues that I that I had just heard from people praying around me. and. I'm not saying the Holy Ghost is not real. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it wasn't for me because I know now looking back, I was just trying to be in the club. On the 23rd day of June, there's a big cake on a watch tub with a plastic bride and groom. All the neighbors and their relatives brought their own folding chairs. Yeah, this really resonates for me, especially the, you know, also coming up in the South, early experiences with youth groups and this kind of like rock worship service where you're definitely feeling something, but then later wondering, you know, was that just the music? And being in the room with all these other people who are excited, something bigger, I'm not sure. No matter what your opinion is of it, that experience is going to stick with right, you. Absolutely. And that's why I really wanted to hone in on, on religion uh, in my interview with Paul. If you see him perform live, you can get a sense that, you know, even though he doesn't practice it anymore, he's still, it's, you know, religion is still very much a part of him. You know, I don't necessarily believe everything I grew up being told. Uh, Well, for me, like uh, speaking in tongues, I'm not saying it's not real, but it wasn't real for me. Mm -hmm. So that's all I can say. But, uh, But the whole experience of the church overall was good, you know. 
it taught you about uh what they taught us how to love your neighbor and they and they taught us how to uh be nice you know how the importance of being nice to all people not just people who can help you in life people that can't help you be them be nice to them too and, and it helped me develop social skills you know because like when you're a preacher's kid you got it every sunday you know you got shake everybody's hands and for some people that's a chore but i love meeting people i love shaking hands and it wound up serving me well in my secular music career because i meet people every night and i am there's not a human on this earth i can't walk up to and say hello to and not feel comfortable i love people and i'm just i'm comfortable it could be a garbage collector or the president of the united states they're all the same to me you know they're just some of them sitting in a higher place, but not really. It's all gonna fade away someday. My family reunion is going on today. My relatives have all flown in from places far away. As we sit there eating chicken, it hits me like a truck. Did you know Paul was a boxer? I had no idea Paul was a boxer. I, I guess I could see it though. Yeah, I was a boxer, and uh, um, you know, I was was I great? No, but I was very good. I was good enough that you know I made it. I was a top ten contender, and I got to go uh, fight uh, on national television. Yeah. So, and apparently he was pretty good. Um, he got to the point where he fought Roberto Duran. I don't keep up with any kinds of sports or anything, but I know that you know Roberto Duran's a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's absolutely a boxing name. Like, like his name just hit me in the nose. Uh, he's literally the one in the top ten most feared fighters of all time. You know, but you know he lost to him. Yeah, I mean, I won a lot of fights. I I had to win just to get the opportunity. You know, they don't just let you go in there and fight Duran. You got to whoop some folks along the way. But so that's kind of where he decided to hang up, hang up the gloves. You know, I, I had three fights after I lost to Duran and I won them all, but they were kind of against, you know, not lesser type, lesser opposition. And I just sort of realized that I wasn't going to be a world champion. So, and I wasn't going to make a million dollars. So what would be the, what was the real point in staying in it? And a lot of people say, well, you quit, didn't you, Paul? But that ain't what happened. I did not quit. I took it as far as I could take it. There's a difference in quitting something and taking something as far as you can take it. And I did that, and I I, I have no, no shame in that. And there, there's no shame in losing to uh, one of the top 10 fighters who ever lived. <laughs> oh, 100%. What, uh, what, was the, what was the transition like from boxer to songwriter? Or was he just kind of playing music all along and that that's what kind of got him serious, more serious about music. How did that, t- how did that happen? Yeah, from, from what I gathered, he'd been playing music all along. Um, he just got more serious about it once he, uh, once, right, once the boxing gig was over and he wanted to figure out what he could do with the rest of his life. I had to work in a factory while I was boxing because I wasn't getting rich from boxing. So while I was working at the factory, I was also writing songs me and this other fellow, Billy Maddox, that I, I read a bunch of songs with, who became my songwriting mentor. But anyway, we built up this large catalog of songs that somehow, through a fluke of miracles, got on the desk of Miles Copeland. 
who um, is a executive uh, producer uh, and manager of the police. Uh, he had um, founded a label, IRS Records. Uh, if you are familiar with that particular label, REM, the Bengals, the Cramps came out of that label, and the Go Go's. Uh, and Miles is also the brother of Stuart Com- Copeland, who was the drummer of The Police. And he liked my songs that I had written, and he literally flew down to Tupelo, Mississippi, and came and saw me playing in a pizza restaurant in the corner by myself with an acoustic guitar. And to make a long story short, I got a I got a record deal, and I got a publishing deal because of my songs, and. Uh, Having never been to a concert in my entire life because it was against our religion, the first time I ever went to a concert in my life, I was opening for Sting in uh, in Nashville in front of like 13,000 people. I saw a black man with a Bible and a sparkler in his hand. He was holding a tent revival. You have got to be kidding me. From a pizza hut to 13,000 people, I, I can't even imagine how nervous he must have been. Uh, and everybody says, wow, weren't you, weren't you nervous? Weren't you nervous? And I don't say this in arrogance, but I wasn't because, think back, I've been playing in front of people all my life. So I was actually prepared better than the average bear would be, you know, because I've just, I was used to going out in front of people and singing. And so all that stuff I did growing up in the Pentecostal church, it, it served me well. <laughs> okay. Well, see exhibit A, I guess. Well, yeah, growing up in the church, he's been performing in front of people his entire life. Here's the title track off of Mission Temple Fireworks Stand. Some Bible Belt down home camp meeting. I love it. Preach it, John. Now I'm going to bring the mood down a little bit and talk about Never Too Late to Call, the title track off of his latest album. It's about his sister. I have a, a, an older sister. Her name was Deborah. Who who died? And so I talked to to Paul about that. And it's a really um, it's a really pretty song. Get about what's wrong If you feel like A sparrow who has fallen You are not alone When you're wearing concrete shoes At the bottom of a lake And it feels like your heart Can't take another break Just remember that I love you And it's never too She passed away from cancer 
but she was an insomniac and she stayed up really late at night, every night. And so when I was out on the road after shows, I knew I could call her and have somebody, a familiar voice to hear. And, she, and sometimes I would apologize and say, oh, I'm sorry I called so late. And, and then she's more than once she would say, hey, don't worry, I love you and it's never too late to call. She always uh, doted after me and, and she just, we were really close and she loved me and I loved her and, and I miss her. When you got somebody in your life that that you can call at any hour and they'll pick the phone up and really care about you, that's a blessing. And there's not you don't, there's not going to be a whole lot of people in your life that's that. So when you find it, you really better you better try to keep it close as long as you can because it, it it won't be there forever. Just every moment you have with somebody like that, any phone conversation, you thank God for it. That's beautiful. Yeah, it makes me think about the people I've lost in my own life. Charlie, how's about I bring the mood back up a little bit? Yeah, John, let's do it. Have you ever had one of those days when nothing goes right? Your wife starts bitching about whatever it was she was bitching about last night. So you escape into the bathroom Just to sit there on your throne But after you finish your business The toilet paper's gone Let's sing together It's a great day For me to whoop somebody's ass Come on It's a bad day <laughs> So you better get off of my back you might get cold cocked If you cross my path Cause it's a great day Everybody, come on For me to whoop somebody's ass <laughs> All right. well, So earlier this year, Reed and I got to interview Paul for the Vault Session series. You can find that by simply searching for songbirds on YouTube. And we asked Paul to share one of his biggest influences. If I had to narrow it down to one, if I was forced to, and I really don't like to call favorite because I like so many, but I have to put John Prine at the very top. Like the top top. But I swear, man, when he walked, when he walked from wherever he came from to where the stage was, it literally, it, it, it felt like, it sounds like a stretch, but it was like Jesus walking up. Well, that's quite the compliment. Cha. Because when he started walking up and he's all frail and he's got, you know, he's got, he had cancer, like whole throat been cut out and everything. But when he's just like barely walking, man, the people just like, they just like went back 
like the water in the ocean when in the Bible, that story, just they were just saw in all of them. So that's Paul describing John Prine walking to come backstage for John, and that's where they first got close. I opened up probably, I don't know, 30 shows for John. And he went and he sat back behind the stage because he was, didn't, he was running out of gas big time in life, you know. And I just walked up to him and I was talking. And the first thing he said before he said anything, he said, he said hey, Paul, anything I you need anything? I, can I get? Can I get you anything? He was like he was acting like he was like serving me, you know. Which I think more than the music is Paul's big source of respect for John Prine. But what a like that guy was, man. So there's so much empathy in his songs. Which brings me to the story that I love, where Paul, after I think it was his very first concert, one of the nights I opened for him on the first. That was the first night I ever opened for him. Uh, was invited by John Prine to have ice cream. After the show, he didn't know me from Adam, but he invited me. And not just Paul, the stagehands, the roadies. And the crew, not the fancy people, the crew that was, you know, tearing down the stuff. He invited us all to his hotel room to eat ice cream. And I can't think of anything that's much more wholesome than that. So I'm sitting there eating ice cream with John Prine, you know, just trying to act like I wasn't starstruck. And uh, and I was so excited that I got to, to have that experience. You know, given what we just learned about Paul's respect and admiration of John. I got on Facebook and I wrote, y'all, I can't believe it. I had ice cream with John Prine last night. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? And then instantly I got a call from his manager. Busted. Not booze, not weed, ice cream. And he said, man, what are you doing? I said, well, nothing. I was just talking about what happened. He said he has sugar diabetes. He said his wife is gonna kill him if he if she finds out that he's been eating ice cream. I was like, oh God, like that. And so, <laughs> and so I got I got him in trouble with his wife. And having learned that Paul opened for John so many times, I searched the internet in earnest for any kind of recording of them together. And all I could find was this DSLR recording on Haley Adams's YouTube channel. Haley, if I saw a miracle you hear this, thank you very much. And while the quality's not great, I think it's charming to hear Paul welcome to the stage by his hero. Please welcome back to the stage our special guest, Paul Cohen. We'll listen to just enough to get to the chorus. When I was a child, my family would travel in Western Kentucky. Where my parents were born. There's a backwards old town that's often remembered. So many times that my memories are warm. Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River, where paradise lay? Yep, there's Paul singing harmony with John Prine. You got it. Pretty much a peak moment. But you too late asking Mr. And that's enough of that. That's our show for today. Thanks for sticking with us. That's right. We'll talk to you next time. 
In the meantime, keep an eye on Songbirds' social media for upcoming shows. Paul Thorne actually just played. We just missed him, but he will definitely be back to play again. We'll hope to see you all there. Produced by Charlie Moss and Reed Caldwell. This episode was written by Charlie Moss and John Dewey. The edit, sound design, and master was done by John Dewey. Our logo and show artist is show art is by Mars Michael. Sit down.